For years, I have promised myself that one Sunday morning, I'm going to follow these kids out. I don't know whether they're offering them candy out there or what, but they sure are anxious to get out there. Thank God for our children and for those who minister to them every Sunday. Choir musicians, thank you. David is out of town this weekend taking a, a day off, and we miss him. But Claudia, thank you so very much for helping us. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to Matthew 7, 13, 14. The last few Sundays, we have been speaking from John chapter 15, following. And those passages were largely, if not exclusively, directed toward Christian people. People have already come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it just seemed appropriate from when I was beginning to prepare for John 15, that following that, um, there be some focus given to a gospel message, and that's what I want to do this morning. I have preached on this passage before, and you have heard messages on this passage before, and there's no question about that. But I trust that God the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts, even though we've heard these verses. And probably a lot of you could quote these verses. But this is God's Word, and I find and have over my years in ministry found that every time I go back through what I think of as a familiar verse of Scripture, I learn something new from it. How many of you have done that with John 3.16? Every time you go back to John 3.16, you learn something new from it. That's the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. We don't study one verse of Scripture... It makes no difference what the verse of Scripture is and learn all that there is from it and don't ever have to go back to it. And so I trust the Spirit of God will speak to us this morning from these two verses of Scripture. Shall we pray? Father, speak to our hearts. We as Christian people, we who belong to you, tend to become complacent. And there overcomes us a sense of, well, I'm going to heaven. I've trusted Christ a lot of years ago. My family is Christian. And, and then we just fall into a position of being somewhat at ease with no great burning heart for people who haven't yet heard the gospel. We're comfortable. We can remember the day. Many of us can remember the day and the hour when we trusted Jesus as our Savior. And we tend to forget there's a host of people around us in Fuqua Arena, in this state and across the world that don't know Jesus, never heard of him. We ask your blessing on the missionaries who come next week, and I pray you'd help them to share with us the urgency of that need in the countries where they are ministering. Help us to pray for them. Help us to get better acquainted with them. Help us to be responsive to the needs that they have. Speak to our hearts. And may, Lord, we not just be concerned about people in uh, Australia or Dominican Republic or uh, at a youth camp somewhere or at another country. But, Lord, there are people that we know who don't know Jesus. They are not necessarily pagans living a profligate life. They are neighbors, family members. 
I pray that you would give to us a heart that would speak lovingly, graciously to them about their need of Jesus. We ask these things in his dear name, for his sake, for his glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the supreme functions of God's servants through the centuries has been to confront men and women with an inevitable choice. This has been from time immemorial. Let me just pick a few. Moses spoke to Israel and said, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. Therefore, choose life that your descendants may live. As far back as Moses' day, he put before the people an inevitable choice, encouraging them to choose life. Sometime later, Joshua presented Israel with another choice, at least worded a little differently. Joshua said, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods of your fathers, the gods that your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Put away those gods, serve the Lord. And if that seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, he concluded, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Moses said, make a decision. The choice is inevitable. Joshua presented more than one decision. Later on, Jeremiah said in, a, in chapter 21 of the book of Jeremiah, he just put it very plainly and very succinctly. He said, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. That was the supreme function of a servant of God. And I believe it still is. Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe for some particular reason you had to be in a context. Maybe a church service, maybe some, some other place. And someone stood and opened the Word of God. And I had a gentleman explain this to me yesterday in broad terms. The person who read the Word of God took not one particle of it literally. Oh, those are nice words, but here's what we're going to do. And it, it became, this gentleman said to me, and I've known him for a long time. This gentleman said to me, Pastor, he talked about every political thing that I could think of and made the scriptures say what he wanted them to say about the political situation. Jesus said to his generation, there is for you an inevitable choice. Matthew 7, verse 13. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. 
and few there be that find it. I'm not sure all of the reasons. I, I only know of a few that keeps those in the pulpit, those who teach Bible classes, those who teach Sunday school classes. I'm not speaking about here at Wake Chapel. It doesn't happen here. But I do know that we are living in a world simply because there is a desire, an enormous desire to be politically correct, not to offend anybody. And a a host of other things which keep us from having presented, even in our worship services today, the choice that is before men and women. I don't know of any pastor, and I know a lot of pastors, I don't know of a single one of them that wants to make you feel bad. But bless God, I know a number who are willing to declare the whole counsel of God. This is not a cafeteria. This is a church. The book of the church is God's Word. And we can't go through the Word of God like we do a cafeteria line. I don't like asparagus, and I don't. But that's another matter. Uh, I don't like asparagus, so I don't choose that. I like strawberry shortcake. I'll take that. And we are living in an age that treats the Word of God like that. If we don't like it, we just ignore it. I want to say, I believe, and Wake Chapel's history is to believe, if, it's, if the book says it, that's what it is. There's a saying which I hear more and more today, and it's what is, is. And I like that. This is God's Word. Preachers didn't make it up. Church councils from the 1500s and earlier didn't make it up. God spoke these words through His servants. And He puts before the people an inevitable choice. To His generation, Jesus said, they're the crossroads. May I say to you, we have friends who are at a crossroads. Again, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many there are that find it. Jesus said, there's a lot going this way. And I don't think I'm overdoing it to say, Jesus says the majority are on the broad road that leads to the broad gate that leads to destruction. The majority. Dear people, I wish I could, in all candor, tell you, I believe the majority of people on planet Earth are going to heaven. I can't tell you that. Jesus seems to me to be saying the majority of the people are on this broad road path, this broad road to the broad gate, enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter in, for the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there are that find it. Now, what does all this mean? Well, in the context, I don't think it can mean but one thing. There's a broad way. It leads at the end of the broad way to a broad gate. And on the other side of the gate is destruction. And a whole host of people are going that way. 
And then, too, Jesus says there's a narrow way. There's a narrow gate. And that narrow gate leads to life. And few people are on that way. Now, think about it with me for a few moments. Enter by the narrow gate that leads to life. Question, what is the gate? In Matthew 7, 13, 14, Jesus didn't say, this is the gate. He just said, enter the gate. Question, what is the gate that leads to life? And the answer is Jesus Christ. What is the gate? The gate is Jesus Christ. Now, John 10, 9, I'm going to ask you to turn there, but John 10, 9 helps us understand Matthew 7, 13, 14. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If any, excuse me, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. May I read that again? What is the gate? It's Jesus Christ. John 10, 9 helps us to understand Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. He didn't say, by this and this and this and this and this. If you just pick one of those ways that suits you, you can get to heaven. Jesus never said anything like that. We have some supposed theologians and pulpits today who say that, but it's wrong. By me, Jesus said. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. Dear people, I do not apologize for saying the gate's small. I don't apologize for it because I didn't say it. Jesus said it. And if you've got to quarrel with somebody about the gate being small, take it up with the author. Don't take it up with your preacher or your Sunday school teacher or your Bible class teacher. Take it up with the author. You go to God and you say, I don't like what you said there. Run down that road for a little while and see where you get. The way to heaven is as narrow as Jesus is. The way to heaven is as broad as Jesus is. Now, you can slice that any way you want to. That's what it says. The way to heaven is narrow. Jesus said this. My sweet wife, bless her heart. She knew the basics of my message. I try to run a lot of things by her before I preach them. And she has always given me wise counsel. This week, more than once, she said, Honey, why don't you just sit down and prop your feet up a while? Your blood pressure's way up. Well, what we hear today it ought to cause all of our blood pressure to go up 10 degrees. We are told today that the greatest virtue of our society is latitudinarianism. To be broad-minded. To be liberal. Just to accept whatever comes along. And may I say to you right there is where Christianity takes issue. Christianity is unique. Christianity says, and the Word of God says... We have absolute truth. And we are living in a day that hates absolute truth. People who would argue with a signpost and still go the wrong way. 
Why? Because the signpost is just there. That's what it says. And people don't like that. That's absolute. Well, now, that, that's a very uh, kind of a silly illustration, I, I suppose. But when we come to the Word of God, it's the same thing. I don't like that it says, by me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. I don't like that. The greatest sin, I believe, not biblically speaking, but the greatest sin, I believe, in 2017 is to be as narrow as Jesus is. That's the greatest sin, as far as the world is concerned, that you can commit. The most blessed thing in 2017 is to be latitudinarian, just as broad-minded. You believe you can get to heaven by riding your bicycle and knocking on locked doors? I don't believe that. And I don't apologize for saying that. You want to hear the truth when you come to church? Or you want to hear somebody, oh, that's okay. That's so sweet. Tommy Rott. Get a hold of the Word of God and hold on to it. And say what it says and don't apologize for it. Say it kindly. Say it lovingly. Don't be a Pharisee. I'm not encouraging that at all. Don't be a Pharisee. If love doesn't undergird the truth that you are proclaiming, you will be ostracized, and I think rightly so. Love ought to undergird our ministry. Love ought to undergird our message. But we ought to proclaim the message, and we just ought to do it lovingly. There are several avenues. I'm just going to take one or two. I've got half a dozen or more than that listed here in my notes, but I'm just going to take one or two. There are several avenues whereby folks attempt to get to God. Our text means no one will be able to come to God through nature. Now, I don't care what political persuasion you are, but I want to say to tree huggers, you can't get to heaven by hugging a tree. Nobody enjoys looking at scenery any more than I do. I still haven't gotten over seeing the Grand Canyon. What a marvel. And other places. And to love nature seems to be part of the mantra of people today who just don't want to go to church. But the idea that God can be found and worshipped and you can get to heaven by worshipping nature is illusory. It won't work. By the way, uh, since I've said that, let me pursue this just a bit further. You, you've read, haven't you, the first several chapters of the book of Revelation? Uh, excuse me, Romans? The book of Romans? Just maybe the first three chapters. You would have to go further than that. Read it if you haven't read it recently. Do you know, there is a revelation of God in nature. That is a fact. That is a biblical fact. There is a revelation of God in nature. But do you know why that's true? The Bible says it is to condemn men for failing to recognize that there's a God. So, if you want to say there's a, a revelation of God in nature, that's biblical truth. But don't stop there. Find out why there is a revelation of God in nature. And the Bible says it is to condemn men for their failing to recognize God. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. The great apostle Paul says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all men for, listen to this, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You can see some things about God and nature. Paul says that. 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. And the last part of that verse is, so that they are without excuse. There is a sufficient amount of, about God in nature that can be gleaned and can be discerned and can be understood to, re, to, to, to bring a man to a place of being condemned. Nature simply renders a man without excuse. There's no place, dear friends, in the Bible to indicate that we can just wander off into nature see God and worship God there and get to heaven. No place in the Bible says that. Second avenue which some folks by which some folks hope to get heaven's religion. I ended up with about a dozen religions I was going to mention, but I'm not going to do that. You know what they are. From every ism, schism, asm, and spasm. Uh, uh, there's something there that people say, you, uh, you can get a hold of that, you get to heaven. No, you can't. No, you can't. Choose any religion. I want to say it again firmly. Choose any religion that the world has to offer. You know, uh, uh, I was saying Buddhism used to be in India. Well, there's a significant part of Buddhism that's come to America. Hinduism, same thing. It used to be India. It, it's not restricted there anymore. By the way, in Hinduism, it's pantheistic to say the least. When Hinduism started, there were 330 million gods in Hinduism. Their great hope of heaven has always been through reincarnations. And reincarnations are supposed to extend your life. Well... Even if, okay, I don't buy that because I don't think the Bible does, but even if that were true, to have a life that's extended on this earth without end, is that heaven? We ought to be looking for the uptaker. Jesus is coming. We ought to be looking for him. You know, do, do, do you want to live on this earth till you're 125 years of age? Well, I'm not getting up a load to go tomorrow, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> Choose any religion the world has to offer. It will not lead you to the God of the Bible. It's interesting to think about it, or it is to me anyway. In religion, men seem to try to be reaching God. Religion, to me, seems it's from earth looking for God. They're trying to, in, in religion, they're trying to find God. In Christianity, God is looking for people that will trust Him and He'll save them. He'll forgive them. There's a fundamental difference. Christianity, the Father in heaven sent His Son to earth and His Son died and says, if you'll come to me, I will save you. I will forgive your sins and you'll have a home in heaven. Religion is just, it's like a ladder that is trying, men by their religion, trying to get to heaven. They're not going to make it. Somebody says, Pastor, I'm not sure about that. Will the religions, will any religion in this world lead you to the God of heaven? Here's the answer. Biblical answer. Not Ross, not Pastor. Here's the answer to that. Neither is there salvation in any other, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Now, people, listen to me. God help us, all of us, me, you, all of us. Take the word of God and stand on it. You can't get to heaven any other way. Why in the world would we send missionaries to Guatemala, uh, Australia, the other places Wake Chapel sends missionaries? Why would we send them to tell them, if you just look around and find a good religion, you can get to heaven? Let me just be blunt. I know sometimes I'm more blunt than some of you want me to be. But anyway, you can find a good religion and go to hell. Now, either that's right or Jesus is wrong. What does God say? That's what makes the difference. Neither is there salvation any other. Any other. For there is no other name under heaven. Give it among men whereby you must be saved. That's Acts 4.12. Try to go to heaven by nature. Try to go to heaven by religions. Third avenue that I would mention is some try to go to heaven through their own morality. Some try to go to heaven and get to heaven through their own morality. Either attempting by their own strength to live up to God's standard or to live up to their own code of ethics. And again, if I can refer to Romans, in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul talks about three kind of people. Okay? One, he talks about a pagan man. Two, he talks about a moral man. Three, he talks about a religious man. And then in chapter 3, he sums all of that up. He's considered the pagan man. He's considered the moral man. He's considered the religious man. And then he says, there is no not right. There is, excuse me, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. My friend, I do, I, I, I dearly hope you will not make the mistake of counting on your moral record to get you into heaven. Listen to me. That's what got you in trouble in the first place. It's your record that got you in trouble in the first place. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that doesn't exempt anybody within the sound of my voice. Your record's what got you in trouble to start with. Well, I could talk about other avenues um, people want to use to come to God, baptism. People think if they're baptized, they're going to heaven. And mm, I know I'll get in trouble with this, but I'm going to say it because I think it's right. Sometimes people get the kids, their infant kids, baptized, thinking that means that child going to heaven. That child didn't have one single thing to do with that decision. So can somebody else make a decision that you're going to go to heaven? Answer, that's no. Answer, that's no. I can go on and talk about others. All this is rather bad news. It's rather straight on hard news. I understand that. But I want to finish by telling you there's good news. There's good news. There's a way to Jesus. You and I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we've sinned in little ways and big ways. 
And unless that sin is removed, we shall never get into God's heaven. We'll never get into God's heaven. Even if we ourselves bore a just punishment for our sin, that wouldn't get us into heaven either. For the punishment for sin is separation from God. What's the solution? The solution is that God provided His Son, Jesus Christ, as a substitute for us. Jesus died for me and for you. I hope I never get over the wonder that comes to me when I think about that. Somebody loved Ross Marion. And I want to tell you, folks, don't go looking. You won't, well, you wouldn't have to look far. He's a scoundrel. I know him. No good. But somebody sent their son, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for me and for you. If you will believe in Jesus, acknowledge that you're a sinner, and accept him as your substitute, then God will remove your sin forever. And it will be correct to say, you have passed over the narrow way and through the narrow gate into salvation. But there's one more truth that we must observe in this passage of Scripture. Jesus said in the first verse, the opening words of verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. Dear people, it is not enough to listen to preaching about the narrow gate. It is not enough to admire the architecture of the narrow gate. It's not enough to stand beside the gate and say, isn't that pretty? Isn't that nice? It must be entered. It must be entered. That means everybody must make that inevitable decision. Now, I know folks who feel that there is no personal decision that's really necessary, Pastor. I inherited Christianity from my parents. You know, I was born in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home. I inherited Christianity from my parents. May I say to you, you were born in a hospital and it didn't make you a doctor, did it? Being born in a Christian home won't make you a Christian either. It doesn't work that way. There are some folks who think they're Christians because they were born in a so-called Christian nation. I'll let that one rest. Still others consider themselves to be Christians just simply because they're not pagans or Mohammedans or something else. But none of these assumptions is adequate. No one is automatically a Christian. And please remember, you can't be neutral. If you just go back through on your own time and read 13, 14, and Matthew 7, there's no place. There's uh, in between these two, broad gate, narrow gate, Broadway, narrow way, life, destruction. There's no in-between. Jesus doesn't give an in-between. The narrow gate. From the narrow way <clears throat> leads to life, but there are not many that find it. My friend, nobody can settle this issue for you 
You have to do it. Moses told the people, choose life. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. God, through Jeremiah, said, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. If you haven't heard anything that I say this morning, please get this. Everyone within the sound of my voice is on the narrow way or the broad way. No in between. May I ask you, which way are you on this morning? You stand at a crossroads. An inevitable choice must be made. You know, I'm not sure that we think about it often enough. But when people come to church and the gospel is presented, after the gospel is presented, in those next few minutes between the time the gospel is presented and the time individuals walk out the door, a decision is made. One that has to do with eternity. What road are you on this morning? Jesus is the truth, the way, the life that leads you to rest. Is there some one body, you, that will trust Jesus this morning? Pray with me. Lord, if I have said anything that misled anyone, that took anyone's attention away from the Word of God, I pray that you would forgive me and remove it from their memory. And may the Spirit of God deal with that one person that's closest to eternity this morning. Somebody, someone, somebody needs to trust Jesus today. I pray you'd speak to their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please don't close up right now. Just take your hymnal, if you would, and turn to number 342. Your Bible and your bulletin and everything else can wait. 342. When you get that, look at the first words of it with me. Just as I am without one plea. I'm not making a plea of my efforts to get me to heaven. I'm not making a plea of because I was born into a Christian home. I'm not making a plea because I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. That's our hope. Will you come to Jesus? Stand with me, please. Maybe there's somebody here the Spirit of God is dealing with, but for whatever reason, you haven't stepped out. May I say to you, the church's invitation closes now. We're, we're you know, we've sung the last verse of the invitation hymn. But remember this, please. God's invitation is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. If you get home and sit down in your chair and God speaks to your heart, just do what he bids you. You can trust him sitting in your den and he'll save you there just the same as he would here or anywhere else. Do business with him. Get off of the broad way that leads to destruction. Come and trust Jesus.
Mark Acuff is our deacon of the day. Mark, you come pray for us. Once again, if you will, Mark, I just did, but if you'll pray again for somebody that might be here that's on the verge of trusting Christ. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and for a time to come together and to worship you with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for pastors who preach your word without compromise. Thank you that the choices of life and death were presented to us clearly today. And I thank you, Father, that they were presented to us in love. Thank you for your love that reached down to us, gave us hope when we were hopeless, gave us life when we were lifeless. And for those who don't know that today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them. They'd be receptive, that they would receive the gift of life that is freely given. We ask you, Lord, that you would be with our mission of the day, amazing grace, adoptions. Thank you for their biblical view of life. Thank you for the privilege that we have to support them with our prayers and with our finances. And we ask you, Lord, that you would richly bless Amazing Grace Adoptions. We have many in our congregation who are sick, and we ask you to watch over them. Especially today, we think of Dr. Al Johnson. May your healing hand touch him. And Lord, thank you for answered prayer for those who are going home like Irene Powell. We know that these things have all come about through you. Your hand is great. Your grace to us and your mercy are new each morning. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.